Hello? Hello, my name is Rebecca, and today's scripture comes from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and verse 20. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then? that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for reading. Good to see you guys. This is the first actual week. Last week was a pre-week on this study called The Gospel And. And um, this week, as Peggy was saying, um, we're getting started with our community group. So if you're not in a group, you can talk to somebody after the service at the welcome table or go online and you'll see that group that the Gagos are hosting is over in, the, in Coconut Grove and the Knights live over in Shinley Park and so there are all kinds of groups there's some here on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday in the evening my wife and I are we're in one down in Palmetto Bay and so there are tons of groups all around and the reason we do that is we believe this is where we work out figure out what it means to follow Jesus what the implications of the gospel are and this morning I sort of begin before a little before that and asking how did you become a follower of Jesus how did you come to faith how did that take place now you may still be a seeker and that's okay but if you have become a follower of Jesus how did that happen I read a wonderful little story you'll see the guy his name is Peter Byram and Peter was going through university in um, in England and while he was there he had never really given any interest in the faith yeah, he grew up in a nominal Christian home, but it didn't really mean anything to him. But what happened was he had two friends, and one of those friends had done a lot of study and research, and he decided he was totally drawn to atheism. And the other friend of his, he had also gone through a time of spiritual searching, and he believed in Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. And both of those, these friends wanted to talk to him about his faith and wanted him to convince him that they were right. So all of a sudden, Peter's like, okay, I guess I got to figure this out. Something's going on. And this just so happened at a time when the humanist society in Great Britain started this bus campaign. Maybe you've heard about it. They put on the buses a sign like this one that says, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. In other words, it doesn't really matter that much. No big deal. If there is a God, well, who cares? If there isn't, no, who cares? Just go out and live your life. But for Peter, that just didn't make sense because these two friends pushed him to the place where he's like, this really does make a difference. 
It's going to make a difference in, in how I see who I am and, and how I live my life and, and what's important to me. I need to figure this out. And being a, a modern university student, how did he go on this great search to figure, he, he started watching YouTube videos. <laughs> I'm not making it up, right? And, and so the new atheists, maybe you've seen these guys, they're sometimes called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, and of course, Richard Dawkins. He began listening to them and trying to figure out what are they trying to say? How do they explain the view that there is no God? And then he also started listening to Christian apologists. And it got super exciting for him when he realized on YouTube, you can find debates between these guys. It is awesome. They stand opposed to each other. They challenge each other's views. And, and that's so he got drawn into this. And in the process, his eyes were open to what he would call the logic of faith. That there just isn't an explanation for the start of our world and all this stuff if there isn't a God. There isn't an explanation for the fact that there's a moral reality woven into our world. If, if there's not somebody outside of all of this giving us, giving us moral truth. Now, making his long journey sound short, but one day he neared the place where he was ready to follow Jesus. And a Christian woman came up to him and, 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 and talking uh, to him, found out where he stood and she cautioned him. This is what she told him. Peter, if you can't give everything to Jesus, everything in your life, don't do it. I've seen what it's like for people who only put one foot in and leave the other out. They'd be better off if they stayed atheists. This involves you handing everything over to him. If you can't, then don't do it. In other words, she was saying, look, this is not just you trying to noodle out an idea in your head. What this means is decisions that will ripple across every area of your life. If you follow Jesus, you need to understand what's involved in this. Now, in our study entitled The Gospel And, it basically says, hey, as you come to know God through the gospel of Jesus, this isn't just going to affect the way you think but it's the gospel and everything else in your life. It changes the way. It's like you've been given a new recipe, right? And living by that new recipe, your life begins to turn out in a different way, right? This is where we're heading in this study and where we're heading today. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, I pray that as we come before you that you'd help us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That yes, in the ways of ideas, it's in Jesus that we're able to make sense of the realities of our world. But Father, we know that it's more than that. That Jesus didn't come and simply teach, but he rescued a people. And he said to those people, come and follow me. So Father, teach us what that means. How, how indeed we too can follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. The Apostle Paul in his letter put it as simply as this. He said, for me to live is Christ. He's saying, look, I realized when I came to faith, it's all my life now is centered on Christ. Now I hear this, I hear this coming from Paul and I'm like, really? 
you got to be kidding me. I mean, you don't know us as modern people, right? Think of the way we live and see life. We're a people who like options. And we like lots of options. And actually, in the process, we're told we're maybe like self-designers, self-creators. We end up going down through like a buffet line. You ever gone to Golden Corral? I hope not, but if you have, you know what I'm talking about. And I mean, they got all kinds of stuff there. And you get to put whatever you want. Nobody has to, you know, tells you what you put on your plate. You put whatever you want on your plate. You take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it's all about you and the choices that you have to make. And this is the life in which we live, in which we're like, okay, you know, I sort of like this part about God loving me and, and wanting to bring blessings. I think I'll take that part. But, but you know, this other part over here, I'm not so sure about that. I'd really rather put this other thing on my plate. And this era has been called the era of expressive individualism. In other words, it's all about me expressing myself as an individual for who I am. And we're told if you're to have a valid human life, it will only happen if you make all the choices for you sort of built on what you believe is inside of you. Like your feelings and thought about thoughts about yourself become this inner compass that direct all of your choices to produce this person that's you. And you're led to believe if you don't do that for yourself, you don't really have a valid human life. That's sort of what it means to be human. So for somebody to show up and say, by the way, there is this life that we're called to, it's shocking to us. You know, I like the sociologist, his name is Robert Bella. He wrote a book about talking with Americans about how they saw faith. And he saw them, they're putting together this patchwork of quilt, quilt of all kinds of beliefs. He interviewed a woman named Sheila and he said, how would you talk about your religious faith? And she said, I call it Sheilaism. Sheilaism. It's all about what I choose for Sheila. And it has all of these different things in it. Now you see how far that is from actually allying ourselves with one who, who speaks into every area of our lives. Tara Isabel Burton, written a couple of amazing books. She explained how her belief system began. She said, throughout my childhood, I kept an altar that was a fusion of Roman saints icons and Wiccan candles I purchased on the internet. I was a little bit Catholic, a little bit Episcopalian, a little bit Jewish, and a little bit pagan. She said, I took a little pinch of this and I put it in over here and, and a little pinch of that. But the reality is nothing that she was really committed to, nothing that had her full allegiance. And I think this is the way we, as moderns, we sort of naturally live. That's how, again, we express ourselves. Yet the gospel says this, it says, you're really not gonna get what this is until you go all in. You're not gonna really know what this is all about until you don't just stand at the threshold, you go all the way into the room and you begin to see this life that God has for you. I, I like the way C.S. Lewis, he put it like this. He said, God says to us something like that, that, like this, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you, I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I don't want to only prune a branch here and a branch there. I want to 
the whole tree out, hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants and wishes and dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me and I will give you a new self in my image. Give me yourself and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. And this is the call of the gospel. You know, I think we say, you know, why does it, this faith in Christ, why doesn't it deliver? Why is it not more full? And it's like, well, it's not on the Godward side, you guys. It's on our side, where he's inviting us all the way in. And the result is we then miss what the gospel has to offer to us. We miss the fullness of what God has given us in Christ. So I want to look at, well, how do we enjoy the fullness of God? What is the way to get to that place if you're a follower of Jesus? Now, last week, we began looking in chapter 1 of this letter written to the Galatians. By the way, it's the first letter Paul wrote as a writer of many letters. And he wrote it to this group of churches that are now in Turkey, and they're churches he helped to plant. And after he planted that church and he went away, he heard something that was absolutely shocking to him and very sad. He heard that though they had learned the gospel, that is, that they had their place with God, totally because of what Jesus had done for them and how Jesus had brought them really out of fear of death and wondering whether they mattered. He, they were now in new life. There were a group of people who showed up at the church. He calls them the circumcision group here, a group of Jewish believers, who said, hey, following Jesus is well and good enough, but you really, you really need to do something more. You've got to add something that you have to do. If you really want a place with God, you need to follow the law and you need to do these customs and practices we'll tell you about. These were Jewish customs, right? And so Paul is shocked that they're quickly turning away from the faith of Jesus. And what he says is this. He says, think about the way a gift works. A gift isn't a gift if it requires something from you. The gift of the gospel, this free work of God through Jesus on your behalf is not a gift if it requires your performance, that you do something to receive it. He says you lose the good news entirely. You see, if our place with God is all gift, if you add anything, it no longer is. It's about your performance. And so this is what he says. He says the good news is that Jesus, he actually did it all. He secured a place for us as children of God. He covered our sins. He's given us a new identity, a new name, a new inheritance. And all of this, Jesus has given us freely in the gospel. That's the good news. Finished, done by Jesus. Now, as Paul is explaining this to the church, what he does is this. He tells the story of another church and a crisis that happened in this church to illustrate. This is what he says. When Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, the church there, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, that was the guy to be the most gracious guy in the early church, even he was led astray. Now, let me tell you what happened. Peter discovered 
faith in Christ. He's the first person to really trust in Jesus and see who he is. He knows the gospel. And years after this, he's in a church. He's visiting from Jerusalem to Antioch. And while he's there, he is loving his time with the Gentiles. By the way, they make the best pork barbecue, and they know how to do lobster tails and shrimp and stuff. And, and man, I want to go over to their house too, wouldn't you? And so Peter is over there. He's eating with the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, the circumcision group, Jewish folks, show up. And when he sees them, he stops doing that. He refuses to eat with them anymore. And the reality is that was Jewish practice. They wouldn't go into the home of a Gentile person. They wouldn't eat with a Gentile person. They wouldn't even stand under the same tree as a Gentile person because they believed that was taking shelter with them. And if they did that, they'd become unclean. And so Peter sees these folks coming in, and now all of a sudden he won't even recognize the Gentiles or believers. You see, they felt so superior. And this is why they wouldn't do this. But Peter had learned that his place with God had nothing to do with his Jewish heritage. Being Jewish didn't save him. For goodness sakes, Peter had been right there with Jesus, right? He had heard Jesus teach. He'd seen the miracles of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. He knew the love of Jesus. He had been there at the resurrection of Jesus. Of course he knew this. And Peter knew that the life that he had was made possible not because he was a good Jewish man, it was because Jesus died for him. And as I mentioned, he's the first apostle to come to faith. So guess what Paul calls him? What he says this is, this is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Literally means being two-faced. That's the word in Greek that's used. And the reason is because in um, Greek drama, the same actor would play many different parts and all they would do is they would change the mask they held over their face. And so literally what it means is like having two faces, standing like that. And so you see, Peter knows that it's by faith in Jesus alone that he's saved, but he's saying something completely different by refusing to eat with the Gentiles. He's giving in to social pressure. He's trying to protect his reputation with his Jewish friends. And in the process, he compromises the gospel. In a way, he discredits what Jesus has done, and, and he should know better. By the way, God had given Peter a vision, a vision to, to show him that the Gentiles also come and become a part of the people of God by faith in Jesus. And Peter had seen the Spirit work in the first man who was a Gentile to come to faith. And so in this moment, there's this showdown. This is one of the most dramatic times in the New Testament in which one apostle squares off against another apostle and challenges him. And it says he gets in his face, which means he's doing it publicly. Why does he do that? You see, Paul knew that the gospel was at stake. He knew what would be lost if Jewish and Gentile believers parted company at this moment. The gospel would be lost. But here's what happens to me. When I read about this conflict, wow, I can see so much hypocrisy in my own life. You ever see that? How many times do we say, oh yeah, I believe the gospel, oh yeah, but look at the way I treat people, right? Does that really show the gospel? Or we say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but, and, and by the way, the respect and love that comes out of the gospel, I know about that, but then listen to the way you talk to your spouse. Or note how the anger in your life has crushed your kids, right? 
Or look at how, how easy it is in the city of Miami to find people that, that you can look down upon, you can feel superior to. Or by the way, we say our hope is in Christ, but how much of our passion do we really believe it's going to be a political party or a political movement? Or um, how much you know because of Jesus, your heavenly Father loves you and will take care of you, yet you live in such financial fear and anxiety all the time. I had a woman after the early service come up to me, and she's living a miracle story. God has taken her, taking care of her whole life, and she said, I still, I'm still in fear. I'm in fear all the time. Paul called this hypocrisy, a failure to take the gospel and to, and to say, what does it mean to live in this? He says that the gospel has not gone far enough or deep enough in your life, and you know, you'd have more peace and joy if it actually had. By the way, I shared this story of Peter Byram um, and how he began to believe when he was a university student in Great Britain. But let me tell you how it happened. The reason he came to know Jesus because he looked at the new atheists and he saw them with the crass hypocrisy they had. One of the ways he saw it, you maybe know of this guy, Peter Dawkins, who said, oh yeah, I'll debate anybody, I'll debate anybody. He, he got invited to debate a Christian apologist. And he refused to come and meet with them. He couldn't imagine it. And he got invited a number of times. And finally at Oxford, at one of the theaters, they hosted this big debate and invited Dawkins. They didn't think he was going to appear. So you know what they did? They took out their own bus ads that looked like this. They said this. It was hilarious. They said, there's probably no Dawkins. Now stop worrying and enjoy the October 25th uh, at the Sheldonian Theater. And guess what? Dawkins didn't show up. you got to be kidding me. And the reason he didn't show up is because he couldn't stand across the aisle and debate a guy who was a follower of Jesus, and he knew it. Yet he criticized the organizers. By the way, deeper and deeper investigation by this young man led to faith in God as the designer of our world, the realization there wouldn't be anything in our universe. And also... Um, faith in Jesus, ultimately faith in Jesus. You know what opened the door? It was hypocrisy. And as I read that, I think, oh, but there's hypocrisy over here with Peter. You see, Paul knew the hypocrisy of Peter. It would destroy the church, and it can do the same, putting stumbling blocks in front of people. I don't know how often I've done that. Add to this, we miss out on then the benefits of the gospel, what God wants to give us in Christ. And that has me asking, well, how do I get out of this then? How are we going to enjoy the benefits? Now, let me tell you, Paul does not call Peter. He doesn't say, hey, you're a racist. He doesn't do that to him. What does he do? He doesn't shame him or the Galatian Christians into returning to Christ. He doesn't say that they're no longer in Christ. This is what he says. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of, of them all, you're a Jew. Yeah, you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Do you see how he made the assessment? He didn't say, hey, you've broken this law of God, or he, he, he doesn't say, hey, you, you totally believe. He says, let's think about the gospel. He says, in line with the truth, of the gospel. He says they've missed the point. And what it means to be rescued by Jesus, this unconditional love that's none of our doing, 
you see, is not only for bringing us to God, but it changes everything else in our lives. In other words, he's saying, look, Peter, if you just applied the gospel that you've learned about how it's all been by gift, how God set his affection on you, then you would understand that it's okay to eat with these people. By the way, you were not saved because you ate with the right people. That's not why it happened. He's not forgiven any given eternal life because he did the right things, but because Jesus died for him. Now, what we call this teaching in theology is justification, right? And it means that Jesus has made us right with God in every way because of what he did for us. And Paul is saying that if Peter applied the gospel, he'd know the truth. And it's what I like to think of as like the gospel test, right? Put it to the gospel test. Or you might say he sort of uses it as the measure, right? The yardstick to measure life of what it means to live, how, how we're to live. Here's Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller explaining. He says, this gospel truth about Jesus has a vast number of implications for all of life. It is our job to bring everything in our lives in line with the thrust or direction of the gospel. We are to think out its implications in every area of our lives and to seek to bring our thinking, our feeling, behavior in line. The gospel truth is radically opposed to the assumptions of the world. But since we live in the world, we've embraced many of the world's assumptions. Christian living is therefore this continual realignment process of bringing everything in line with the truth of the gospel. You see, the gospel teaches us about love and respect in marriage. It teaches us about love and, and training and grace in parenting. It teaches us how to use money and, and sex and power. You see, the gospel gives us new eyes with which to see everything. And by the way, this is the purpose of this study. And in the weeks ahead and one in our groups, we're gonna be talking about, we're gonna be saying, well, what does the gospel say? about this and it's what paul is talking about here consider the implications of the gospel and ask him am i living my life in line with the gospel right now i know for most of us the knee-jerk reaction i grew up going to church my parents were churchgoers is to just make a legalistic response to just say hey peter that's just flat out wrong or maybe you grew up in an environment where everything was pretty much okay, in which Paul would just say to Peter, he'd say, yeah, you can eat with whoever you want. It really doesn't matter, right? And so you may have come from one of those backgrounds yourself, and that's sort of your reaction to that, right? But that's not what Paul says we need to do. He says we need to ask, well, where does the gospel lead? What is faith in Christ? Where does that lead us to? What is this grace that we've received from God? What direction does that lead us to? By the way, if you look at your life, you'll find one of these perspectives. And so the legalistic side, you'll feel some superiority. You'll see people in the city and you'll find yourself looking down on them. Or if you're on the other side, you just think, hey, whatever goes, it's fine, that's okay, it doesn't really matter. But the reality is the gospel does show us another way of life if we believe the gospel is true. And by the way, you can see this across culture. A story that I've returned to over and over again happened some 11 years ago when this guy, Robert Downey Jr., you probably know him from Iron Man fame, won an American Cinema Award. 
And the night that the award was to be given to him, he got to choose who would present the award to him, and he very purposefully chose that Mel Gibson would give him the award. These guys are friends. And the thing that had happened to Mel not long before that is tapes had been released of him raving mad and using anti-Semitic remarks. It was pretty nasty. And not only that, he had hit his girlfriend and been charged with battery as a result of that. And his life was out of control and his career seemed over. But at that night, as you can see there in the picture, Robert Downey stepped out before Mel Gibson could come out and give him the award. And he went there to plead for his friend. Downey went, as he went to the microphone, this is what he said. He said, when I couldn't get sober, he told me not to give up hope and encouraged me to find my faith rooted in forgiveness. And I couldn't get hired. So he cast me in the lead of a movie that was actually developed for him. He kept the roof over my head and food on the table. And he went on to explain, he lived with addiction. Downey had addictions himself. And it was Gibson who came to him and, and told him about a faith where forgiveness was actually possible for him. That night, Downey went on. He said, all he, that's Mel, asks is that someday I help the next guy in some small way. It's reasonable to assume that at that time he didn't imagine the next guy would be him or that someday would be tonight. I would ask that you join me in forgiving my friend and offering him the same clean slate you gave me. You see, here was a guy putting his arms around another guy who had fallen and was so on the outs and saying, you need to forgive this guy, I need forgiveness too. And it makes you begin thinking, what would happen if the gospel started winding itself into your life and appearing in your relationships, appearing in the way you treat the people who are around you, appearing in the way we view our city. And, and that's what, again, as I said, that's what this is all about. Here's this beautiful picture, and it made me wonder, what would happen if the Apostle Peter, the very guy who was one of the three closest to Jesus, put his arm around those Gentiles and said, they are my brothers, these are my sisters. They belong to Christ just like me even though they came from Gentile homes. And by the way, I actually like lobster pails, you know? Mm -hmm. He rejoices in this new life that he has that's in Christ. You see the picture? Here's the thing. You see, the gospel is not what you would call the ABCs of the faith. It is that. It's how we come in, right? It's through Jesus that we have new life, that we have forgiveness, that we have you know, a place with God forever is true, but it's also the A to Z of our, of our faith. It's the beginning and the end. It's how everything changes. It, it, all of our life in God comes through what Jesus has done. It's, it's in reference to Jesus and what he has done for, for us. And now we're in him. And here's how Paul explains what it did to him. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's as if he says, I'm not even here anymore. I died with Christ, and my whole new life is with him. Everything is about him. It's this beautiful explanation of what has happened in Jesus at the center of his life. He's living by faith. He's trusting the gospel. He knows he's forgiven and he's free. 
By the way, if you're looking at me, you'll see such a hypocrite. Paul says that about himself. But look at Jesus and you will find life. And it all rests for Paul in those simple words. He loved me. And he gave himself for me. I belong to him. My life is now on him. I, I want to understand what it means to, be a, to follow him. And my life to be in him. As I read that, I thought of the Apostle Peter. You know, he was there on the night Jesus was betrayed, and though he said it would never happen, he denied Jesus three times. And yet after the resurrection, Jesus made a point of appearing to him and restoring him, letting him know that as far as, as he had denied him, he was loved even more. This is this guy who has seen this. This is what we have to remember. He, he loved me, and he gave himself for me. I, I no longer have a life that isn't. It's all in Christ. Christ lives in me, he says. You know? And you see these stories of pictures. I think it's when you realize how you've been rescued and saved. A person a few weeks ago, I was listening to a commentator, and they were talking about the fire that happened in Lahaina. I've never been there to Hawaii, but I understand it's beautiful. You can see a picture of it before the fire swept through there. It was a beautiful place right on the water, right? This amazing place. And then, of course, a fire, it was kindled, and because there were great winds, it swept through the city, and that's what it ended up looking like. This amazingly devastated place. When the mayor showed up afterward, this is what he said. He said, I'm telling you, None of it's there. It's all burned to the ground. But did you hear about the miracle house in Lahaina? I want to show you a picture of it. You see that one house? The color has not been enhanced. Imagine all the houses being burned and destroyed. By the way, it's a lot of loss of life. And you coming home to find your house hadn't even been touched. You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I think there's a power to the rescue of the gospel that causes you to see, wow, I'm in Christ. I have a Father who loves me. And when you begin to see this, you'll see how it seeps into every crevice of your life, every part of your life. You behold the fact that Jesus has redeemed you. And, I, and thinking that Jesus you realize you've been spared, you've been made a part of God's family, and you're like, okay, what is this life? What is this beautiful life? If you're a hypocrite like me, I need the implications of the gospel every day in every area of my life. And if so, that's the journey that we're on. What can you do today? I think it's be honest about your hypocrisy. I think I see that I'm a hypocrite in some way almost every single day. And the reminder is, my life is in Christ. I've been loved by God. That's never going to change. It's not going to be taken away. And I'm going to keep looking to him. Would you pray together with me? Father, it's true. We, we really do sample in our culture. And we've got a lot of options. We feel like it's sort of our job. We're the one who decides. And we decide is what we do. And then Jesus appears and gives us a life we can never bring about on our own, a love that is beyond anything we have ever known. And we begin to see the life that you created us for. And so I pray, Father, as we're meeting in the weeks ahead and our groups, 
as we're discussing here, we'd be able to see all that you have given to us in Jesus. And that would change the way we see our city, how we see our neighbors, how we see our closest relationships. Father, I pray that this truth, 